Amen. Amen. Oh, we're so glad you're here with us tonight. I'm going to invite you to just kind of keep your, your heart in a, in a place of kind of worshipful reflection. I was talking with Kathleen Houston after service a few weeks back. Carrie, I think it was you and I talking with her. She was telling us again a story of an accident that, that she suffered not too long ago. And, uh, and she said, as she was telling the story, she said, I, I hope I get a chance to share the story with, with, with the church. And, you know, usually I'm telling you, right? I need you to share that story with the church, whether you want to or not. But she was like, I want to share this story with the church. And as she shared it, I was like, absolutely, the church needs to hear this story. And so uh, Pastor Justin and some of our creative team have been working with her to bring the story to you. And so before we go into the message tonight, uh, we just want to say thank you to Kathleen Houston for sharing her story. And you can watch it with me now. Hi, City Life. I'm Kathleen Houston, and I have a story to tell about hope and miracles. On September 19th um, was a Saturday night, and I attended church here. And later that night after I got home, I took my little dog out for a walk. And when I came back home, I was walking up my porch, had my left foot completely on the top of the porch, and my right foot flip-flop caught in the trim around the front porch. And I realized I was going to fall, and I tried to catch myself, and I fell head first into the corner brick trim around my front door. And I hit my head so hard, it, it knocked me down into a sitting position on the porch. Naturally, I reached my left hand up, and I felt a huge hole in my head, and blood was going everywhere. So I realized I, I'm gonna need some help, and I lived by myself, and none of my neighbors were home that night. One, one neighbor, I believed, was home. I just prayed, and I said, Lord, what do I do? I, I knew I was conscious, but I thought if I get up and try to go in the house and get my cell phone, I may pass out in the house. So I just decided to scream as loud as I could for help, and miracle number one, my one neighbors that were home heard me. And the only reason I believe that they heard me was because they have a seven-month-old that was sick and they were getting ready to take her to the hospital so they had turned off their TV and were in the foyer of their home when they heard me screaming. They came over and um, took a look at my head and called 911. The ambulance came and I'm still conscious at this time and um, took me to Riverside. Miracle number two is as soon as I got into the emergency room, a surgeon came over and said, um, you have to have a CAT scan. I want you to totally understand what I'm saying to you. If your skull is cracked, you have to have a neurosurgeon come in tonight and do surgery. They came back and said, your skull is not cracked. However, I had a very huge wound on my head, um, 13 inches long and three inches wide was the gash. They kept saying, you know, what's your pain level? What's your pain level? And I said, uh, zero, zero. I, I was never in any pain. They sent pictures of my head to a surgeon and the surgeon said, um, well, you're gonna have to have surgery tomorrow. So we'll keep you in observation overnight. The surgeon called the hospital back and said, she hit her head so hard, I wanna get a CAT scan of her neck. Later that night, they came in and said, your neck is not broken, however, 
we found two tumors, one on your cervical spine and one on your thyroid. Then a nurse came in and said, we have to check your blood because you've lost so much blood, you're gonna need a blood transfusion. The next miracle was she came back and said, we don't believe this, but your blood is perfectly normal. You do not need any blood. I had surgery, it took two and a half hours, and I ended up having 150 stitches in my head. I've had no brain damage. I never had a concussion. I've never had one minute of pain throughout the whole process. And I got five deep needle biopsies done on the tumors in my neck and in my thyroid, and every single one of them has come back benign. So I just wanna say, miracles still happen. Living by myself, I've been widowed 21 years. I've always had a fear that something was gonna happen. I guess God knew that was part of a fear of living alone and let me know that He's always with me and always watching me and always taking care of me. And it's never too late for God to do a miracle. Come on. So good. I don't know if Kathleen is here tonight, but the next time you see her, I, I, I hope that you tell her thank you for sharing that story. It's incredible, isn't it? All the different ways that God showed up in her circumstance. Never, never feeling any pain. Unbelievable. I think I felt some pain just listening to the story. Right? Is that just me? She shared too. She... Uh, when she got in the ambulance, they, they told her where they were going as they were going down. She, she literally said, you all are going the wrong way. <laughs> she, she could tell from the, from, the, from the looking out the back window that they were going down the wrong roads. And, it's, and they were like, man, we're, take, we have, we're, gonna have to take you, we're taking you to a different hospital. Please just let us do our job. It was so great. You're going in the wrong direction. Oh, I love it. All right, I'm going to dive into this message in just a minute. Before I do, I, pull, I picked this one up because Janine Jones, who's on projection, said, is it cheating if, 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 if I take that one? I said, no, because she's serving tonight. Come on. So that one's for her. But these are just for you. You come up here and get them anytime you want. And uh, the, these three down the kind of the front right are out of faith, work, and economics about finding purpose and productivity. The one in the middle, I love this. This is Jeff Mingi, the lead pastor of Catalyst Church that meets here on a Sunday morning. That's, I, I want to say he's written at least two books. Our, the, our elder team is going to read that one together, but that's free. All these are free. There's a, there's a book there about racial reconciliation happening in New York City. And then there's one just there on inspiration from John Eldridge. So at any time they're in the service that uh, you feel bold enough. It's their first come, first serve. So maybe that will help you to stop sitting in the back so much because you never get the book that you want. So, uh, but they are here. So take them home. They're not doing anybody any good sitting on my bookshelf uh, in, my, in my office. So I just want to give a couple of shout outs to Jordan Johnson. Happy birthday. He's in the room somewhere. Sharing your birthday with us, I just want to give a shout out too to Ken Radecki. Uh, they, they are a new family in our in our church for the past past year or so. He is a uh, a uh, HVAC. I don't even know what you call it. Master. We're going to call him the sensei. That uh, he is uh, putting in some work here at this building. And so, Ken, thank you, thank you. He was here this afternoon with me fixing some stuff. And so, just we just want to say thank you. And then Nathaniel Miller, if you've noticed for any amount of time. This past year or so, there's been a garbage bag taped over this window. Some youth who will re remain unnamed, <coughs> Satai, threw a, 
football into it at an RC gathering. I was just coughing there a little bit. I hope that didn't sound too much like a name. But uh, anyways, Nathaniel Miller, master craftsman, uh, doing some repair work on there. So, so thank you. Thank you. People putting in some time here at City Life Church. So this is our phrase tonight I want to share with you. Move in his direction. Move in his direction. As we look at the Christmas story, we find lots of people in the Christmas story. But three of them that we're going to look at tonight, we're going to look at the Magi, we're going to look at the shepherds, and we're going to look at what I'm calling the parents. That's Joseph and Mary. And each of them represent for us some prophetic imagery of how we can feel far from God. Now, you know what I'm talking about, because if you've ever been in a relationship, and all of you have in some measure or some way, you, you have felt far from someone because of a conflict, because of a circumstance, because of the situation. They might be in the room with you, but you still feel, feel far from them. We know that God is ever-present, but that does not mean that we don't still feel far from him at times. And I believe that in the Christmas story that the Magi and the shepherds and the parents speak to us about different ways that we can feel far from God, why it is and how we can remedy that. Because this is what we know. The nearness of God chases away my despair and restores my hope. So move in his direction. The nearness of God chases away my despair and restores my hope. Move in his direction. We don't want the nearness of God to just be an idea for you. We want it to be a manifestation of reality in your life. I love these verses. This is out of the Message Bible. It's Zephaniah 3, 16 to 17. It says, Jerusalem will be told, don't be afraid. Dear Zion, don't despair. Listen to the promise. Your God is present Among you, your God is present among you, a strong warrior there to save you. Happy to have you back. This is important, right? That's the sentiment right there. Happy to have you back. Why? Because God has always been there, but sometimes we feel far from him. Happy to have you back. He'll calm you with his love and delight you with his songs. Delight you with his songs. The first one is this, the idea of the Magi, I'm calling them the distant, the distant. Now there's lots of different ideas or thoughts or conjecture because we don't know exactly where they came from. The two prevailing thoughts are Persia, which would be modern day Iran, or Sheba, which would be modern day Yemen. I'm not going to read it for the sake of time tonight, but in Matthew 2, verses 1 through 2, we find the verses that tell us that there were wise men, there were magi that came to worship Jesus. Many theologians, the the prevailing view is that they were not there on the night of his birth, that that Jesus might have been two or three years old. It, it, It was sometime later that they came. When you look at all the places they probably would have come from without having modern transportation, it more than likely took them two years to get there. Yet you thought your road trip on vacation this past summer was far. Two years. The risk that they took, the sacrifice to themselves, they were far 
away from Jesus. The distant. Many people believe that the reason why they even knew to go, the reason why they recognized the signs is because Daniel, when he was taken away in captivity centuries before and became one of the advisors of the kingdom, the conquering, the kingdom that had conquered them, this pagan kingdom, that he began to teach them the wisdom of Hebrew Scripture and all of the signs of the coming of the Messiah. And so even though it was generations later, there was a remnant of foreign people who knew the signs of the coming king. It challenges us, doesn't it? That sometimes when we feel swept away in the captivity of our circumstances, I think it's easy, easy for us to forget that sometimes God is using that to tell his story. I don't think Daniel would have chosen to go away in captivity, but I think once he got to the other side of it and he's in heaven looking back, I don't think that he would have asked for anything to be different because of the purposes that God brought through it. See, just because God is near doesn't mean my journey to him isn't far. Just because God is near doesn't mean my journey to him or back to him isn't far. My journey can be far even though he is near. Because distance is measured in emotion. God is ever present. That's not going to change. But you and I can feel emotionally distant from him. People often feel far from God because they have drifted away from him morally. When we negotiate, listen to this, when we negotiate moral boundaries, we feel emotionally distant from God. When we negotiate moral boundaries, we feel emotionally distant from God. I think the Magi for us paint a picture for us, for you and I is that we're negotiating moral boundaries and although God is ever present, we feel far from him and the devil is whispering in our ear, it's too far of a journey to make, so why even try? This is one of the reasons why the church has such an important responsibility to make sure that although we are supposed to always be accepting of people, we have to be careful that that acceptance is not misunderstood as permission for sinfulness. See, if the church does a poor job of, of calling out sin, if the church does a poor job of speaking to sin, then people will take that, that lack of challenge to their lifestyle as acceptance and then they will become angry at God and his word for rejecting them when the people of God are embracing them. It's important that we as the church not create confusion for people in their lifestyle choices, which is why we talked about it this summer. There are times when the church is called to pull back from people sparingly, has got to be done in the right way. We preached on it this summer. Sometimes we have to pull back from people. Why? Because God wants people to feel that they are far from him when they are negotiating moral boundaries. And sometimes the church becomes the very group of people that keeps people trapped in their distance because they're not being challenged in their choices. Does God want people to feel close to the body of Christ and the family of God? You better believe he does, but not at the expense of feeling close to him. I remember being at 
Young Life Camp when I was in high school, back when there were dinosaurs. I got a snort out there, I heard that. And they did an illustration where they were asking the question, who's further away from God? So they had people up there and they were given a sign and on that sign was some, some sin, right? I lied or prostitute, drug dealer, murderer. They were all given these, these signs. And, and then they invited a few volunteers up and, 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 and they said, we want you to put them. It was, Jesus was standing here and then they said, we want you to, to line, line them up, right? Which, which person do you think is the, is the farthest? And, and you, right, you understand what they did. They, they took whatever they thought was the, the least serious sin and, and they put them in the front and then the person that they thought was the worst sinner in the back and then a line in between. And so they we're, we're, we're working through this and maybe you're working through it now. What, how would you line people up? And then the, lead, the, the person giving the lesson comes up and puts Jesus in the middle and put all the people in a circle around Jesus. It says it doesn't matter what your sin is. Everybody's sin separates them from God ultimately in the end. And the distance between us and him is the same. I've always remembered that. It's a, it's a great illustration It's a great illustration, though, to teach us the theology of how we're separated from God in sin. It is a poor illustration when it comes to how we experientially feel separated from God. And that matters, people. It matters. Your felt distance matters, and that felt distance is dictated by the severity of your sin and the longevity of your compromise. Let me say that again. Your felt distance. Theologically, every sin separates us from God. I'm not, I'm, I, right? I'm not, I'm not challenging the theology of sin tonight. That's right. You don't have to rent your clothes and shout heresy. I'm talking about the human experience. And I'm telling you from my own personal experience, your felt distance matters. And your felt distance is dictated by the severity of your sin and the longevity of your compromise. The longer you go into moral compromise, the deeper you go into moral compromise, the more you feel far from God. And the devil wants us to get trapped in that place and doesn't want us to begin to make that journey back to him. Psalm 145, 18, I love this verse. The Lord is close to all who call on him. Oh, it's good, isn't it? Oh, but it doesn't stop there. Listen to what it says. Yes, to all who call on him in truth. The Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him in truth. Meaning that the journey back to him must include a willingness to say, God, I don't just want you in your presence but I want all the truth that is in your presence present in my life. Help me to bring my life into alignment with your truth. And then I'm telling you, all of a sudden, you'll begin to close that gap. Distant. Number two, the disenfranchised. The disenfranchised. The shepherds, again, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time. You can download these notes on our website. 
Luke 2, 8 through 18, tells the story of the shepherds. It literally says that when people heard the story that the shepherds told about the heavens opening and choruses of angels singing out of it, can you imagine the shepherds recounting the story and how it brought them to Jesus and they worshiped him. It says that they were astonished. Can I just tell you, I don't think that people were just astonished at the story that they told because that in and of itself would certainly be astonishing. You should read it, Luke 2, 8 through 18. I think they were astonished too because of who God chose as the audience. He chose the disenfranchised. See, as they begin to tell this story, I think people were astonished because they're thinking, why didn't he pick me? Why would he pick them? Why would, why would he pick these shepherds? They were the, some of the, the lowest on the socioeconomic scale that you could be for that job in Jesus' day of his birth. I try to share this at least a couple of times a year. Because it gives us incredible insight as to why the disciples, when Jesus said, come and follow me, were so quick to run after him. Rob Bell popularized this insight before he fell off the theological deep end. We'll leave it at that. But every male child when they were around six, were all sent off to the local synagogue to study under the local rabbi. Age six, Beit Safar. Beit Safar. And they had to memorize Genesis to Deuteronomy at six. Genesis to Deuteronomy. You think I'm the parent of a six-year-old. I can't even get my child to remember to flush the toilet. (laughs) Or maybe even use it, for goodness sake. Genesis to Deuteronomy. What? what? Oh, you know it's possible because your six-year-old can recite the last 14 episodes of Dora the Explorer. When they get to 10, if they make it, because not everybody made it. Not everybody was able to do it. They weed them out. Beit Talmud, age 10. Only those with promise. You know what their next next task was? Memorize the rest of the Old Testament. That's 39 books in total. Not major themes, not major characters, not the meta narratives. Verbatim, word for word. (laughs) What? 39 books of the Old Testament. That weeded some people out too. Eventually, the ones who showed the greatest promise made it to what's called Beit Midrash. And they would be allowed to apply to become a disciple of the rabbi. And in that moment, they had to make a decision to be willing to abandon everything But everyone who made it this far would abandon everything because it was one of the greatest honors in all of Jewish society. 
And then the rabbi of that group would pick those, the best of the best. And you know what the rabbi would say to them? Come and follow me. So when Jesus was 30, began his ministry and began to walk around as a Jewish man talking to other Jewish men, and they heard him say, come and follow me, you better believe something stirred in their heart. Because at some point, which is the reason why they were tax collectors and shepherds and fishermen and all these others, carpenters, all these other trades, because at some point someone had looked at them, someone who represented God, someone who, who represented religious authority, someone who represented piety had looked at them and said, you're not good enough to do what I do. You don't have what it takes. And now someone's coming along and saying, I want you to come and follow me. Of course they abandoned everything. It was their second chance. Every one of these shepherds that were in that field, that night of Jesus' birth, were there because someone had looked at them in their youth at some point and said to them, go do something else because you don't have what it takes. And as they began to tell their story, people were astonished. Why would God pick people like that? to give them such a remarkable experience. People often feel far from God because they feel disenfranchised by people who claim to represent God. When we let others determine our worth to God instead of the promises of Scripture, we lose our sense of the nearness of God. People often feel far from God because they feel disenfranchised by people who claim to represent God. When we let others determine our worth to God instead of the promises of Scripture, we lose our sense of the nearness of God. I put these two points next to each other because maybe you've already connected the dots. They hold each other in a healthy tension. If the church overreaches in pulling back from people, it creates an atmosphere of permissiveness. But if we're not careful and we don't do it the right right way, we make people feel disenfranchised. It's a weighty responsibility to represent God in the lives of people. Some of you here tonight, some of you watching from home, you feel disenfranchised because someone that represented God to you made you feel unworthy. At some point, you've got to decide whether you're going to let that person's voice dictate to you whether or not you're going to be near to God or far from him. Because what I'm saying to you tonight is move in his direction. Move in his direction. Whether it's moral compromise that you need to move away from, or whether it's the voice of someone who spoke something over you that wounded you, it's the same. Move in his direction. Because all the religious worthy people that night, they were probably at a prayer meeting in a synagogue. They were probably in a small group with their friends studying the book of Lamentations. Maybe, maybe there was a rabbi in Bethlehem who that very night was hosting a dinner with the final few that he himself had said to them, come and follow me. 
the best of the best. Yet the heavens did not open for them. Maybe there was a rabbi somewhere in Bethlehem raising money for a new synagogue, a feeding program for widows and orphans. See, all these things that I'm saying to you, I'm not making fun of those things because all those things are important and we do all of those things. What I'm saying to you is that we have to be, care- we have to be careful. We have to be careful about how we judge the worthiness of people. Because I'm telling you, God's got a different list than what we use. Disenfranchised people. Matthew 23, 13 reads this way. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, Jesus calls them. For you shut the door on the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves and you don't let others enter either. For some of you, you feel far from God because someone shut the door in your face. And whatever they said and whatever they did made you feel disenfranchised. It made you feel disconnected from the people of God. And now that's made you feel far from God. And what God is saying to you tonight is move in his direction. And stop letting that voice or that experience determine how close you are to him. The distant, moral compromise, the disenfranchised, the wounded and the hurt, the last one I'm calling the doubting. Joseph and Mary. Luke 1, 26 to 38. Again, just giving you the reference. Luke 1, 26 to 38 is the story of Michael coming to say to Mary, you're with child. Can, can, can we just agree that at some point, I think Mary said, could you go talk to my parents? Could, could, could you tell them? Let, let, let's, let's take the time. Luke 1. Let, let's, just, let's just read how this happens. Let's, 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 I said, Michael, it's Gabriel. Verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed. Confused and disturbed. These are not the feelings we tend to associate with moments that we're longing for with God. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. Can I just tell you, sometimes it doesn't feel like favor when God has chosen us. See, we read this account because we know the end of the story, but you got to think about it from her perspective. She is a young teenage girl promised to be married to Joseph. And their day and time was different than ours. 
she could be put to death, put to death, if there was suspicion of infidelity, put to death. You have found favor with God. Oh, anybody looking for that kind of favor? You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus and he will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The, the, the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary says, come on, this is awesome. No, she does not say that. She says, can I ask a question? How, how is this possible? She says, because I have never been with a man. And I think, seriously, I think she's thinking to herself, I hope when this angel is done with me that he's going to talk to my parents and my family and my community and Joseph and his parents and his family and his community. Now, we eventually get to verse 38 where Mary responds, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Would we say that? Would we say that? I think, can think back of times in my life where now that I know the end of the story, I know God was in it. But when I was in the middle of it, it didn't feel that way. And I can tell you that my response has not always been, may it be unto me according to thy word. Again, I'm not going to go there for the sake of time, but Romans 9, 14 to 20, if you want to scare yourself, read some of Romans 9. It's like the horror story of Scripture. It is a theologically complicated book. But what one point is clear. God is sovereign. We are not. And he will put us in circumstances and situations that we would not otherwise choose for ourselves. Because he's got a plan that he is bringing about. He's got a story that he is trying to tell. And if it involves pouring out our lives, then he's going to pour it out. Has the sovereignty of God ever left you feeling like you weren't given a choice? And even though you wanted to respond like Mary, you didn't. Listen to this. People often feel far from God because they don't like that God didn't give them a choice. We tend to withdraw from God emotionally when we doubt his choices for us circumstantially. Let me say that again. We tend to withdraw from him emotionally when we doubt his choices for us circumstantially. Scripture is filled with moments like this. I, I made some notes just a couple of weeks ago as I was preparing for this message how about the story of Hannah giving birth to Samuel? I'm not sure she would have chosen that journey. Because sometimes God asks us to carry a burden for the next generation. How about the story of the widow and Elisha in 2 Kings 4? I'm not sure that we would ever choose to be that destitute. But sometimes God puts us in a place of lack because he's trying to write a story of provision that he's going to tell the world. How about Nebuchadnezzar and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being put into the furnace? We're not choosing to go into a furnace. I'm not. I know most of you, and I'm telling you, you might think that you would, but I'm, I know you. 
Sometimes God calls us to suffer because he's trying to create a witness for an unbelieving world. Daniel 6. How about Daniel in the lion's den? I like this one. Sometimes God puts us at risk because he really is trying to devour our enemies. God has enemies. Sometimes those enemies do need to be destroyed by God's hand, not by ours, but by his hand. And sometimes how he does it, as we learn through the story of Daniel, he makes us vulnerable to them because that's the trap. Psalm 39, 7. And so the Lord, and so Lord, where do I put my hope? My hope is in you. My hope is in you. Our hope cannot be in our circumstances. Our hope cannot be in our, in our, in our, in our situation. If you don't like what God is doing in your life circumstantially, that's okay. We have permission. If you read the book of Psalms, we have permission to go to God with our complaints. But it's not permission to withdraw our hope because our hope is in him, not our situation. And we have to trust that he always has our best interest at heart. If you don't like your life circumstantially right now, what I would say to you is move in his direction. Move in his direction. Put your hope in him. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. The nearness of God chases away my despair and restores my hope. Move in his direction. I'm going to say it again. The nearness of God chases away my despair and restores my hope. Move in his direction. I'm going to close before we go back into worship for a closing song with the verse that we started with. It's again, it's out of the Message Bible. It's Zephaniah 3, 16 to 17. Jerusalem will be told. You put your name in there. Fred will be told. Don't be afraid. Dear Fred, don't despair. Your God is present among you. A strong warrior there to save you. Happy to have you back. Why? Because we have felt far from him. Whether it be because of our moral compromise, whether, whether it be because someone made us feel disenfranchised, wounded us in some way, or whether it's through the circumstances that we're facing right now that we don't like that God has us in. God says to you, and he says to me, I'm happy to have you back. I'm happy to have you back. W will you move in his direction. Listen to what he says. He'll calm you with his love and delight you with his song. Will you let God put a song in your heart? Will you move in his direction? Stand with me. Father, as we close out this last service of 2020 with this moment of worship, I pray that even now, that even now, people would have a supernatural sense of you putting a song in their heart. That, that, that even now, even now, even now, people would have a sense of moving in your direction.
whether they are the distant, whether they are the disenfranchised, whether they are the doubting or some other circumstance or situation that makes them feel far from you, that this last Saturday in 2020, they would remember that that, that was the night where I began to move in his direction and the nearness of God was restored to me. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.